Please open your Bibles at Mark chapter 9, the famous story of the transfiguration of Jesus. What we're going to do is read this story and listen to some words from to Peter, and then this week and next week explore this incredible passage of Scripture. So Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. And then please turn to 2 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 16. Peter writes this, We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Our world is a very sceptical world. What would the Christians of the first century have said if they were confronted with unbelievers who wanted to write off their religion as fairy tales? How would the Apostle Peter have replied? 
Well, I don't think we have to speculate on that point. Peter tells us the answer in his second letter, those words I read out from 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18. Peter, of course, is referring there to that incident that Mark records in Mark chapter 9, which we call the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, I suppose, by the criteria of our modern age, it's a highly unbelievable story. It records how Jesus was transformed by some kind of supernatural energy into a luminous radiance. And in that state, Jesus held conference with two men from the past, Moses and Elijah. Not the sort of thing, I suggest, our sceptical 21st century Western society finds easy to believe in. And some have indeed rejected this incident as a ridiculous piece of fantasy, an invention of the early church, a myth, an ecstatic vision which has been recorded as if it actually happened but it didn't really happen. But let's listen to the testimony of the men or the man who was actually there, the man Peter. You see, scepticism was nothing new to Peter. He was familiar with the accusations that his Christian faith was based on what he calls cleverly invented stories. But he says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. No, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And in making that statement, Peter addresses us in our century, no less than those in his own century. He is claiming first-hand eyewitness testimony. He's telling us, that the story of the transfiguration is not a story that somehow developed or evolved in the early Christian community. No, he said, it came from my own lips, says Peter, and the lips of others who personally observed it. Call me a liar if you want, but don't dismiss my words as fairy tales or fable. I am telling you my own experience as it is indelibly burned into my memory. Jesus really is the Son of God and he really is coming back in glory. No matter how incredible that may seem to you, that incident on the mountain which I, exploit, I experience, makes it certain for me, says Peter. And it should do for you. We heard the voice. We saw the glory. Now, maybe someone listening to me here is not yet a Christian. And reading that story in Mark Mark 9, 
you may have thought, what an extraordinary story, and I really can't believe that. Now let me say, the Bible is not asking you to be gullible, or to unscrew your brain, or abandon your worldview, or play a game of let's pretend. No, the Bible is simply asking you to take seriously the first-hand eyewitness testimony of these three men, these three honest men, who had an experience which, in our language, blew their minds. We heard the voice. We saw the glory. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this week and next week, I want to look at two aspects of this story of the transfiguration of Jesus. I want to look at the voice and the glory. So first of all, the significance of the verse that they heard. Chapter 9 of Mark, verses 4 to 7. Now, there are many things that make it appropriate that Moses and Elijah are seen in contact with Jesus here. For a start, both Moses and Elijah had dramatic visual experiences of God on mountaintops. A second thing which may have well been very important was that The Jewish community at the time of Jesus believed that both Moses and Elijah had been translated or taken up bodily into heaven and that both of them would return to earth before the coming of Messiah. And that expectation lies behind the discussion in verses 12 to 13 of Mark's gospel in chapter 9. But by far the most significant thing about Elijah and Moses, as far as the the general flow of Mark's gospel is concerned, has to be they were both great prophets. If you know the the gospel of Mark quite well, you know that in chapter 8, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? The reply was, some say you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say you're one of the prophets. To which Jesus replies, well, who do you say I am? What's your opinion? And it's clear that the disciples at this time were having to wrestle with this vital question. Everyone agreed that Jesus had to be a prophet. But was he more than a prophet? That's the question. And Peter was given an insight from God and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. But it's quite obvious here on this Mount of Transfiguration that Peter had not worked out fully the implications of that insight that 
he'd, he'd been given. Just look at verse 5. Was, he, was Peter trying to prolong the experience? Was he just totally mind-blown, mind as it were, by the whole thing? That he, didn't, he didn't know what he was trying to do, to say? Well, verse 6 suggests that was the case. But whatever was in Peter's mind at that moment, he had forgotten or not worked out the revelation of the previous week. Because you notice how he only addresses Jesus here in Mark 9 as rabbi. Is that an appropriate title for the one who is transfigured by the divine glory? And notice how Peter wants to communicate the event. Let's put up, put up three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he's out of line, isn't he, here? And so the cloud envelops them, and God himself pronounces his verdict. This is my son, whom I love, listen to him. Now, do you get the point? Mark has told us what people think of Jesus. Now he's telling us what God thinks of Jesus. Here is in a voice that the disciples will never forget for the rest of their lives, they learn Jesus is not a prophet at all. Indeed, the heroes of Israel just pale into insignificance beside him. He is the Son of God. Moses may have reflected the glory of heaven in his face when he came down from the mountaintop, but Jesus' glory comes, as it were, from within him. He's the glory of God incarnate. Three shrines, three shelters. What are you talking about, Peter? This is not three equals. No, this is my son, says God. A unique, incomparable person who stands alone. And suddenly, when they look around, there's nobody else with them except Jesus. This is the eyewitness testimony to the fact that Jesus really is the Son of God. This is not some cleverly invented story. This is not fiction, it's fact. A voice from heaven declares it. The writer to the Hebrew says this, the God who spoke in the past times by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by a son. A son who in his very person is the radiance of God's glory. And Peter says we were eyewitnesses of this majesty. If Christians were content to list Jesus with the prophets like Moses and Elijah, there would be far fewer problems between the Christian faith and the Muslim religion. 
It is the fact that we Christians say Jesus is the Son of God and that he stands alone that is the major problem between Christians and the Muslim religion. Christians, we say Jesus is the Son because that is what God says. That's what Peter, James and John heard God declare. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Do you know there will be no dissenting voices in heaven on this issue? There will be no arms raised in heaven to Moses, Elijah, or Muhammad, or any other so-called prophet. Heaven will be united by a single confession that Jesus is Lord. And Peter said in his first sermon after receiving the Spirit, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Well, next week, we'll look at the second aspect of this great experience on the mountaintop, the glory they saw, they saw and the significance of that glory. Amen.